0: Larger churches, he's pastored in larger metro cities. He's served on local and district and national uh, levels of leadership, and uh, continues to bless our movement by traveling across the country, by being the chair of uh, Christian Ministries there at Urshan College. And we want him to come this morning to take his liberty and to preach the word of the Lord one more time. Why don't we put our hands together? Welcome, Brother Jerry Jones. Praise God! Praise the Lord, everybody! What a joy to be in the house of the Lord today and feel His great spirit here. Didn't you enjoy that praise team leading us into the presence of God? Wow, that's good. Give them a hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It's um, a joy when every part of the service connects with what God is saying and doing in our hearts. Amen. Uh, You've been standing up and down a while. How about we'll turn... uh, 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 immediately to the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think I'll just read one verse there, the 31st. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Um. It's not often this happens, but the text of my Bible lesson today was in the final line of the chorus of the very first praise song this morning. I'm going to talk about all to the glory of God. God bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. Now I'm going to make some comments today. I'll express some what I believe to be principles of God's word of theology, of knowing God that you're not going to agree with when I first say them. Some of you will, some of you won't. If you don't, just give me a moment before you turn me off and let let me show you why these are principles and truths about the nature of the God we serve. One reason some of my comments will be a challenge is because they don't fit modern concepts of Christianity. Christianity has become in the latter part of the 20th century and certainly in the 21st century, a very me-centered religion. The whole universe is about me and my needs. That God exists for me. The idea that I exist for God has become obscured in uh, 21st century Christianity. Because people are easily manipulated when you focus them on their needs and how desperately they're in need and how totally dependent they are. That has become the focus of much television and megachurch And Christian psychology ideas today. We have to be careful that our idea of God is is a biblical idea. The The only thing we know about God, the only revelation of God is the Bible. Outside of God's word, we know nothing about God. Now, now, that's a concept that we'd pay lip service to. But we often overlook its deeper and broader implications. We don't know about God through personal logic, through human reasoning. We cannot apply our experiences to understand God. We only have the Bible. Now, if it's in harmony with the Bible, it's wonderful and fine that life experiences can teach us about God, that he can speak into our spirit, that he can reveal himself in many ways. That's wonderful. But it must conform to the word of God if it conflicts with God's Word, if it's a concept of God's nature that is not in harmony with the Word of God, you must reject it. You cannot add to what the Bible reveals about God. You cannot subtract from what the Bible reveals about God. So today, when I make a statement about God that your first reaction is going to be what? Think about it a little bit and let me explain it before you reject it. Well, let me go ahead and make one and get us started here a little bit. It is a truth of the God of the word of God, of the Bible, that God's first commitment Is to his own glory. This is his primary commitment. It supersedes all other commitments. It is his unwavering commitment to his own glory. We cannot apply human reasoning to this or we make God an egotist. We cannot say, well, that's, that's kind of selfish, isn't it? All we can say is, this is what God's Word teaches. It even goes further and reveals that this commitment to his own honor and his own glory and his own fidelity to his expression, his promise, his Word, that this is the motive, the basis... Of all God does. You can trace every action of God back to his commitment, to his covenant, to his word, to his promise, and to his own glory. And because of this, it must be the motive behind all that we do. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is urging the church in Corinth, a very self-centered church, a very egotistical church, a church quick to divide up into little cliques and little groups. And I follow Cephas, and I follow Apollos, and I'm a disciple of Paul. Well, I trump you all. I follow Jesus. Well... If you follow Jesus for your own glory, you've missed the point. So Paul is telling this divided, fussing, feuding, constantly positioning itself and claiming positions of glory above one another. He says, all that you do, word or deed, eat or drink, Whatever you do, you do it, not for your glory, but for the glory of God. And so what I'm going to talk about to you today is how important it is for us to rethink our approach to our life, to ourselves, and most of all, to God. That all we do centers around the glory of God. Now the corollary among others that we can draw from this that is most challenging to many of us, and I include myself in that, is the fact that since God is centered around his own glory, God Is not human centered. Yeah, he loves us and we're the apple of his eye and the sheep of his pasture. But God's existence does not revolve around us. We are not his first thought, we are not the sum total of His purpose and even His plans. While He gave Himself for us and so loved the world that He gave His own Son, He is not centered around human needs and human beings. To get our minds around a God who created a universe that we can barely comprehend, in fact, cannot comprehend. Vast in its scope, beyond our imagination, in its existence, a God who is bigger than that, who far extends beyond that. In fact, Einstein, Bohr, Newton, no, uh, no physicist who's ever existed can conceive of anything outside the universe. And yet God far exceeds the limits of the universe because he created it that God does not exist for us little creatures running around on the third planet from a medium-sized star tucked on the end of a moderate galaxy floating through an almost limitless universe. He is not me centered. He is centered about his own glory. <laughs> I've already lost a few of you, but let me take it a little further. Since God's glory is the center of his existence, and since he is not man-centered, but glory, God's glory-centered, what he does, he does not do for us. He does it for his own glory. Glory. Come on back in. Come on back in. Don't drift off quite yet. He doesn't do it for us. There's a passage in Ezekiel that we love because I'm amazed by it because it starts out here, and it starts as if he's talking about just the nation of Israel, but it focuses closer and closer and closer to us, to the church And he brings it right down to where we live. And we love this passage. And I hear it preached about. But we cannot forget the thrust of this passage. It's Ezekiel chapter 32. We'll begin with verse 22. And I won't read every word of it. But I encourage you to do so. Therefore, God is saying to Ezekiel. Giving him a message to preach. Say unto the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God. I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake. You have profaned it among the heathen wherever you went. And I, this is the next verse, will sanctify my great name and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord. What's he going to do to extend his glory among the heathen? So that they might know that he is the Lord. Well, here's what he's going to do. I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. So far, so good. We're talking about Israel. But look at the next verse. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. Now here's the part we like. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall be my people and I will be your God. And then just in case we missed the point, Verse 32 Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God. He does what he does for his glory's sake salvation, redemption, forgiveness, grace, they are all to bring glory to God. They are that men might know. There is a God in heaven. Let me tell you something. I don't know who's here that was once an alcoholic and is no longer an alcoholic. But that tells the world there is a God in heaven. A drug addict that stops being a drug addict. The world says that's impossible, that you'll struggle with it all your life. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Once a drug addict, always a drug addict. But the book says, if any man be in Christ, uh, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let me tell you, the world can't do that. That takes God to do that. He does it for his glory. I don't do it for your sakes. I do it for mine own name's sake. His love for us. Now, this may even be the hardest one for some. His love for us is not motivated because we were or are lovable. Now, I know that's hard. I get that. That somehow, we have earned His love. That somehow, because of choices we made, we deserve God's love. Let me tell you, if you've been in the church 50 years, you're still undeserving of the grace and the mercy of God. Turning our back on the world... Holiness, standards, righteousness, worship, faithfulness to God's house. The book says that's our reasonable service. It doesn't buy us anything. It doesn't make us anything. It is because of his grace that we are saved by faith in him through his grace. We don't deserve it. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. He is not motivated by our actions. He is motivated... By his own glory. His mercy is based not on our deserts. God could have left us in our sins, God could have left us in our unrighteousness. He didn't owe us anything. The basic motive of God's action is mercy, not our deserts. It is because God gets glory from your being saved that makes you saved. I told you it's tough. I told you you'd want to think about this. Chew on this a little bit. It's not when we got our act together. It wasn't when we got good and upright and holy. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of the glory of God. The greatest act of redemption that God performed was to bring glory to him. Without controversy, 1 Timothy 3, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, Believed on in the world and received up in to glory. God saves us. Hang on. If you hadn't buckled your seatbelt by now, you might want to think about it. God saves us for his own sake. That he may be glorified. His glory is why we are here. His glory is why He called us out of the world. Isaiah 43, fear not, for I am with thee. This is verse 5. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. The church exists to bring glory to God. It is called out of the world, not that we are good, that we are better, that we are somehow more spiritual, but we were called from the north, the south, the east, the west, from sins and shame and guilt and regret, but we were called, his sons and daughters, to bring glory to God. The church is not our culture where we can demonstrate our talent, where we can rise in a small, controlled world and show our own abilities. We are not part of the church for us. We are here to bring glory to Him. The church is called for His glory. Why did the potter from the same lump of clay make vessels of honor and dishonor? Paul says there's only one reason. Only one reason. So that God could reveal his wrath and the riches of his glory. He takes human lives within his hands, the potter. And he crafts and creates but when the, when the clay resists and he is unable to craft it, that reveals his judgment. For judgment is coming upon all who have rejected Christ and his gospel. But when that clay is subservient and he fashions that life into a beautiful vessel, it's not that the clay be praised. It's that the potter be glorified. He takes clay that is worthless and useless and he fashions it for his own glory. Sometimes the word I can get us in trouble. It's not about me, it's about him. Why did God bring Israel out of slavery in Egypt? <laughs> Exodus 9, 16 said, he did it that my name might be declared in all the earth. He did it for his own glory. Why did he spare Israel in spite of their rebellion in the wilderness? Ezekiel 20, 14, he says, I spared them for the sake of my name. He did not reject Israel when they rejected him and wanted another king over them just so they could be like other nations and fit in and be acceptable to other nations. But he accepted their decision. And the book says in First Samuel 12, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Why did God bring Israel back from Babylon? Because Daniel prayed. In Daniel 9:10, "O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do defer not for thine own sake, oh my God, for thy city and thy people." are called by thy name why did jesus come why did god manifest himself in flesh why was he born of woman born under the law why did he suffer every frailty of human flesh conquering sin and giving his life a ransom why Romans 15, 8 and 9. Paul says he did it for two reasons to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. When we fall less, than glorifying God in every service, in every day of our lives, we're missing our reason to exist. We're missing the purpose of our lives. We are here for one reason. He came for one reason. He opened the door to the Gentiles for one reason, that we who were no people, that he made us his people, might Bring glory to God. Let's do that right now. Let's glorify him. He is worthy. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, we glorify you, Jesus. It's not about us. It's about you. It's not for our glory. It's for your glory that we exist. We praise your name today. Now you think I've been bad so far. Here's the worst one of all. You might want to write this one down because it's going to shut down your brain for a moment. And you'll have to think about this one. But here you go. Are you ready? In light of all of this, I have to tell you today, God loves his own glory. More than he loves us. I didn't say he didn't love us. God so loved the world he gave. Here in his love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't say he didn't love us. I said he loves his own glory. More. Than he loves us. Give you a little Bible for that judging by the looks on your faces. I know it's hard when you look in the mirror and you're the center of the universe. And we all are the center of our universe because everything revolves around us. We only know people in relation to us. We only know the world in relation to our own experiences. We only see ourselves and everyone around us. According to the dictates of our own stories, our self-image is created by our outward look from our own minds. So if we're the center of the universe, why wouldn't God love us more than anything else? But he doesn't. He loves his own glory more than us. I think I better come down there for this one. I'm getting quite a few looks here and I might need. Moses is on the mountain. He's communing with the eternal God. He's received on tablets created by the hand of God himself. Written by the finger of God himself. The fundamental laws of human relationships. Relationship with ourselves, relationship with our God, and relationships with one another. They are the foundation of what would be called the law, which was our schoolmaster to train the unruly and wild imaginations and hearts of humankind to prepare us for the fulfillment of the law, the goal, Paul calls it, of the law, which is Jesus Christ, which is what we, you and I, are privileged to have. There's Moses (laughs) connecting, communing, receiving from God. And believe it or not, down in the camp, Under the direction of Aaron, the brother of Moses and the first high priest. They have fashioned a golden calf. And they have placed it on a pedestal. They have stripped and they have danced and they have praised and called it a God. But the greatest insult, the greatest betrayal is as they dance about that calf, they sing, this, O Israel, is the God who brought you out of Egypt. And God is livid. Before they've been his people. Now he says, you better go down and check on your people. kind of like mother when she's got her belly full, says to dad, you need to talk to your son. (laughs) Moses, go down there. Look at what your people are. He's done with them. And let me tell you something. He's really done with them. Sometimes we neglect to understand the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. It's not two different gods. His judgment, his justice, his wrath are not a different aspect that God shut off when he came to this world as Jesus Christ. That God is Jesus. Sin still makes God livid. It still brings the judgments of God. And here's what he says. He tells Moses, he says, I'm going to kill them all. That's what he says. He says, let me go. Don't get in my way. I'm going to kill every one of them. And he says, I'll start over with you. I can still keep my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're one of their children. I'll kill that bunch, that million people. I'll wipe them off the face of the earth. They'll be gone in a flash of judgment. I'll show them what God brought them out of Egypt. I'll kill them all. I'll start over with you. I got time. I got lots of time. What saved them? Let me say it better. Who saved them? Moses. How did Moses save them? did not appeal to God's love for them. He did not appeal to God's mercy. There's no mention of kindness. There's no mention of forgiveness. God's love, though he loved them. Please listen to me. His love could not save them. His mercy could not save them. So Moses did all he could do. He appealed to the center of God's existence. He said, God, if you do this, the Egyptians are going to say, He brought them out just to kill them in the wilderness. He failed those people. He didn't keep his word. He said he brought them out to bring them in. And then he killed them in the wilderness. And then he said, and what about Abraham? What about Isaac? What about Jacob? You said their people would be like the sands of the sea. And the stars of the heavens. You said that their offspring would be your people forever. In other words, Moses said, God, this ain't about your love for them. This ain't about your mercy for them. This is about your glory. This is about your namesake. This is about your reputation. You've made some promises and you've said some stuff. And God, just before you kill them, let me remind you that your glory dictates your actions. And God said, says he repented. Now that's our understanding of God's action. If you notice, God set the whole scenario up. He said, Moses, get out of my way and let me kill him. Because he knew Moses was going to remind him, your glory is higher. Your glory is greater. Your glory is superior. And God would say, I will forgive them. I will cleanse them. I will save them, not for their sake, not because they deserve it, but because of my glory. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not his love we depend on. It's not his mercy we depend on. It's his glory that makes us safe. his glory that is our protection. Because God made promises to this church and he's going to keep his word. We may let him down but he's not going to let us down. We may fail to live up to our potential, but God is going to keep every letter of that word. It is his glory in which our safety lies. This is where our hope lies. There is none here who deserves mercy. We cannot claim it except through the blood of Christ. Any here who deserve forgiveness, we cannot claim it except through the blood of Christ. We are all condemned. We are all worthy of wrath. We are all worthy of death. But we are forgiven. And Isaiah 48, 9, and 11 tells us why forgiveness is ours. For my name's sake will I defer mine anger. And for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. Oh, when you go to God, don't claim that you've done something worthy of his glory. You walk in there and say, God, I'm not worthy to speak thy name. But you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of honor. You are worthy of glory, of glory. notice the end of that 11th verse. I will not give my glory unto another. I'm sorry, God's God's not going to say you know Jerry Jones man, you know he's he's had the Holy Ghost nearly 50 years. No, more than 50 years. He served the Lord, never backslid. No, he hadn't been perfect, but never went back out in the world. Been licensed all these years. Had an elected position for 41 years. Blah 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 blah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna scrunch over. Do y'all say scrunch in Kentucky? Yeah. So I'm speaking your language, right? I'm gonna scrunch over here in the throne. And I'm going to let Jerry Jones sit up here for a while. Because he, he deserves a few angel choruses. He deserves the elders casting crowns at his feet. God said, uh-uh, sorry. I didn't share it with Moses. I didn't share it with Abraham. I didn't share it with David. And I ain't going to share it with you. God's glory is more important than we are. Now, why does this matter? What's this Bible lesson all about? Trying to shake you up a little bit? Trying to change your worldview a little bit? Well, maybe so, but it matters much more than me or you. Why does it matter? What is the application of this eternal truth that God is motivated by his own glory? More than any other motive. And this is why all that we do must bring glory to God. Why does it matter? Well, first, let me tell you something. If we do it for our own glory, it's worthless. Now, I'm not saying good things don't happen. No matter what you think of Mother Teresa and her lack of faith and her commitment to false teaching. She did some wonderful things. No matter what you think about how she handled money and how it was unaccounted for and all the hoopla that you hear in a negative press, she did some wonderful things. But none of them touched eternity. There are people today who give themselves to rehab centers, to halfway houses, to fresh starts, to new beginnings to try to pull people out of the fire of heroin and cocaine and other addictions that destroy lives and tear families apart. And they're doing all they can to help the alcoholic and the broken and the depressed, the mentally ill. And I don't take one thing away from what they do, but none of them touch eternity. You can rescue a life from the flames of sin But in the end, they still die lost without God. It is all for nothing. And when we do what we do to bring glory to us, so that men and women would know our name, so that they will applaud us, So that they'll say that was great preaching. That was great singing. Oh, you did so much for those kids. Oh, when we do it for that. We have wasted our lives. Because it will not touch eternity. The only thing that matters. Is if it brings glory to God. To live our lives in the pursuit of fame and applause and attention is to literally throw our lives away. For most of us, it will never be fulfilled. For most of us, it will be a lifelong, futile, vain pursuit of what will never be offered. For many, it will come for a few years. Our 15 minutes of fame will arrive and pass and be over and forgotten. And our lives will be wasted. But if we live our lives to bring glory to God, it will matter that we lived. Some years ago, I was in Lexington, Kentucky. And I visited a cemetery there. Yeah, I know. I'm weird. That's the way I am. Henry Clay is in that cemetery. How many of you have ever heard of Henry Clay? How many of you know who Henry Clay was? He's got this huge monument. You can't miss it. It shoots up into the sky, remembering Henry Clay. In the same cemetery is a man... That you've heard of, but not because of anything he did. His daughter, one of his daughters, he had several. His daughter was a highly educated woman for her time. Attended Transylvania University in Lexington. Was a a friend of and mentored by the great Henry Clay. She spoke and read fluent French, along, of course, with perfect English. She was able to write. Incredible letters of great eloquence and fluidity. She was a remarkable person. Her husband, his son-in-law, was the 16th president of the United States and arguably the greatest of all the presidents. His name was Robert Todd. You probably remember him best because his grandson was also Robert Todd Lincoln visit Robert Todd's grave today, I challenge you to find his name. I challenge you to find the date of his death and the date of his birth. There is some epitaph there. I could not make it out and could not find it recorded on the Internet. It is forever lost, the description of his life. The weather, the rain, the sun and wind, has erased the monument to this man. When you think that what we do to gain this world's attention, even the church's attention, has any value at all, remember this. Get a bucket of water. Stick your finger down in that bucket. Pull it out of the water. You know how long it takes for the hole to fill up? That's how long people remember us once we're gone. Only what we do for Jesus will matter in the end. Only if it brings glory to him will it count. Everything else will fall away. Everything else will be forgotten. But if you do it to bring glory to Him, there is a record system in glory that if you hand a cup of cold water to a thirsty man on a hot day and you do it to bring glory to God, it's going to be remembered forever and ever and ever. Secondly, when we are willing to be God-centered only because we believe He is me-centered, we are relegating God to just being an instrument of our own glory. Now, th- this is a part, and I, I'm going I'm to bring this in for a landing here. I know I'm a little over time. Let me tell you, Where did we get the idea that God exists for us? Now, I I don't want you to misunderstand me. We are taught to bring our needs to him. Let our requests be made known unto God. That's the scripture. You have not because you ask not. Jesus said that. Anything, he said, you ask in my name, believing, I will do it. That's what Jesus said. Healing is our promise. Deliverance is our promise. Help is our promise in the time of need. He will be with us. That's a promise. And I'm not taking away from that. And I'm not saying we ought not bring our needs to God. But I'm talking about a worldview and a mindset that somehow makes it that what I need is God's highest priority. That I will worship Him as long as my prayers are answered. That I will glorify Him as long as the sun shines in my life. We cannot buy into not just the charismatic, but most recently charismatic idea that when you serve God, everything goes good. That if you serve God, the sun will always shine, the grass will be green, the birds will sing, your kids' teeth will be uh, straight, and they will all make A's in school. That in fact, wealth is a sign of God's acceptance that's not scriptural and it ain't true. There'll be some dear saint of God who lives in a ramshackle trailer house on the backside of a trailer park in Kentucky that has prayed prayers and exercised faith and has been faithful to God. And when we get to glory, her crown is going to be higher than any other crown in this building. And she's known nothing but But poverty and loss and pain and anguish, but she is a child of God and she brings glory to God and He loves her. You gotta understand that we cannot serve God to be happy. That's not our motive. We do not serve God to have money in the bank and to drive a nice car, and to wear nice clothes. God isn't against any of those things. But if he chooses another path for us, uh, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. Uh, If I never get another prayer answered, uh, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. Uh, If I'm sick and poor and I have nothing in this world, I'm going to serve you because you are worthy. You are alone are worthy. I don't do it to get from God. I do it to give to God. He is not an instrument of my glory. He does not exist to make me rich or powerful or famous. Our glory is not in view Not even for one second. It is all about Him. Now I'm going to finish with this. When we do all for our glory, we limit what we can do. Because God does not share His glory. When we do it for us, we get what we can do. When we do it to display our talent for the applause of people, we get only what our talent can produce. Now, that may be prodigal. That may be incredible. You might be so talented that people will sing your praises. I've seen it happen. I've seen carnal men and women. I I, I knew a preacher that could play golf all day. Rush home, change clothes, grab his Bible on the way to Bible study that night, walk in the pulpit, flip it open, read a text, and wow, the congregation. Because he had talent, but he couldn't build a church. And he's lost his ministry, and he lost his marriage, and eventually lost his life. And I want to tell you why. Because no matter how great your talent, it will only take you so far. No matter what you can do with your own abilities, with your own skill, with your own creativity, with your own excellence, with your own eloquence, no matter what you can do, it's just what man or woman can do. But when we do it for the glory of God, we go far beyond our talent, our skill, our education, our abilities. When we do it for his glory, we get what God, Stand with me, please. How do people stand up and sing? And let me tell you something. Good singers, we got the best. I mean, we've had, that, we've had that said to us by people that ought to know. Great singers, incredible singers. We need our singers. I thank God for the talent that is in us. But that ain't what makes our singers great. It's when they step into that realm of beyond Musical ability beyond instrumental skill, beyond knowledge of of how to sing, and they step beyond that. We need preachers of eloquence and ability, preachers who spend hours in the Word of God, who know what they're preaching about, And preach the meat of the word, not the latest ideas or ideals or political opinions or their own opinion. But we need preachers that step beyond even their study of God's word and step into that other realm and bring glory to God. And those singers and those preachers that bring an anointing beyond themselves, they change human lives because they bring. do. When it's about us, it's just about us. When it's about him, it activates the power of God to accomplish more than we could ever dream. How did they find the courage to face the lions in the Colosseum? The upside down crosses that dotted the hills around Rome the fiery stakes of the Inquisition. How did they do that? They arrested you today and sentenced you to death by lethal injection. And you could save your life by simply saying, Jesus is not God. What would you do? That's what they did. And how did they do it? There can only be one answer. They weren't superhumans. They weren't somehow better than us, higher than us, stronger than us, more spiritual than us. It was very simple. They lived their lives to bring glory to God. And they chose to die for his glory. Come on up. I'm trying to quit. I really am. Are there any Sunday school teachers here? Any youth workers here? You kind of ashamed of it? Hold the hand up high. Yeah. Any people work with the elderly, the older folks? A few. Okay. Pastors here? Preachers here? One last shocker, but here you go. You don't do it for them. You better not do it for them. If you do it for them, they'll break your heart. We don't do it for them. We don't teach for them. We don't preach for them. We don't pastor for them. We don't lead for them. Sure, we love them. We care what happens to them. We want them to have a better life. I don't don't take away from that. But I'm telling you, your motive cannot be for them. To get their applause, to get them to say thank you, to get them to do this, be saved, to do that, to go here, to be that, don't do this. That, That can't be your motive. It's what we dream will happen. But we don't do it for them we do it for Him. Because you're always a success. You'll stay in the fight. You'll struggle on in the battle. You'll live through the dark nights. You'll rise above the betrayals and the walkouts and those who turn against us and attack us on Facebook. You can weather that if you didn't do it for them. But if you did it for Him, What does it matter what they say or what they do? I did it for His glory, and He gets glory no matter what they do. So the apostle summed it up so powerfully and simply. When our lives, our prayers, our dreams, our desires are all for God to be glorified, when we are in harmony with God's Word and God's will because we don't live our lives for ourselves, but we live our lives for Him, then we have a hope of fulfilling the commandment of God's Word. All that you do, do it for His glory. Not unto us, the psalmist wrote, O Lord, Not unto us, but unto thy name, give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Maybe today before we go to lunch, we'd like to take a few moments and reconnect with a higher dedication. To recommit our ministry and our lives to something greater than the notice of our peers, the applause of our friends. That we do what we do, not for our glory, but we do it for Him. And we understand that God doesn't measure success, worth, or value like we do. That he isn't impressed by what we do and get glory. In fact, Jesus said, if you make a show of your prayers, of your worship, of your life, and people notice you, well, you got your reward. But when you pray, when you worship, you forget there's anybody else around. In fact, if you need to, you get by yourself to do it. Because then your reward is in heaven. Maybe we'd like to recommit ourselves to one glory, to one purpose, to bring glory to God, to unleash His power in us. Because all that we do, we do for the glory of God. I'm going to invite you to come to the front if you'd like. And as they sing and bring glory to God, let us commit ourselves to forgetting ourselves and to bring glory.
1: Sorry, Lord, for